It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so thrilled to bring you your team every single day. This is a continuation of the Locked On Podcast's position week, so if you want to listen to point guards and shooting guards, those were the last two days, and when I knew that we were doing this, there was someone in particular that I wanted to get for small forwards, and that is Anthony Slater. Slater does a great job of bridging the gap because he was a beat writer for the Oklahoman, which is the big paper in Oklahoma City, and has now made the jump and is returned to Northern California and is covering the Warriors for the San Jose Mercury News and Bay Area News Group as the Warriors beat writer. Very exciting. So I wanted to have him on to talk about Kevin Durant and making the transition and everything like that. So it's a a great conversation. We, of course, also talk about Andre Iguodala, but it does focus on those two guys. Conversation runs about 45 minutes. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thought you'd be a great person to ask the question that will be persistent throughout this whole year, which is, how do you think Kevin Durant's going to fit with the Warriors? I think he is going to be incredible because he's Kevin Durant, really. I mean, uh, not not breaking news here, but, you know, we're talking about one of the top five. I mean, you, you can't really go lower than six, seven on best players in the world, uh, even if you're talking to his biggest skeptics. So I think the I think the Olympics was was a was a teaser for some people who, you know, there was a, there was kind of that opinion out there. Uh, it was more the maybe the side that was a bit sour about him going to the Warriors that hey he's going to go ring chase and he's going to be kind of a bit part on that team uh, that just won seventy three games. He just went to that Olympic team that had two other Warriors that had obviously a ton of All Stars and it was just it was pretty clear he was the best player on the team. I'm not saying he's for sure going to be the best player on the Warriors, but his talent is going to shine so much. Um, his just and his just ease of scoring. That pretty soon, and I think the Warriors are going to kind of promote him to do this, get, tell him to shoot a ton, especially early on, to try to get him comfortable. Uh, that I think it's going to be, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be little parts of, of his game and parts of the Warriors, uh, other Warriors games that may, may not fit super seamlessly. But I think right away he's going to be, a, you know, 27 per game score, you know, seven rebounds four assists a game, a couple steals, a couple blocks, and, you know, a top five type player in the league and in the MVP discussion. One of the big things that Warriors fans might not get about Durant is that he's such a good scorer in a lot of different capacities. He's been one of the best isolation guys in the entire league for years now. He does well in pick and roll. He's uh, He was the best post-up scorer in the league last year. You know, he's a guy who can do that in a lot of different ways, and that scoring versatility will be important for the Warriors and something that the coaching staff is going to enjoy intellectually because you can use him in so many different ways. Yeah, so I, w- I went down to Austin. This would have been, out, I think it was about 10 days before free agency or so. Durant was doing his, like, KD9 shoe release. And as part of it, he was, like, uh, implementing Shaka Smart in the Texas basketball program. And we went to, to Texas, um, and, and Shaka Smart ran Kevin Durant through a workout, and all the media members were there. It was mostly like sneaker-type reporters that are covering it for Complex Magazine, those type of things. But they had uh, some of the media members stand on the court as he took Durant through different workouts, you know, his, his one-dribble pull-ups, all his, like, kind of pet moves. Uh, and it is, like, it's pretty incredible to watch this seven-footer do it from, you know, I'm standing in the paint, and he's doing it you know about 10 feet away and then Shaka Smart had him go to the you know the mid post which Kevin Durant loves the mid post about 14 feet out elbow extended and he had one of the Texas team managers guard him 
and and he was doing that one, little one dribble, one legged Dirk fadeaway, and he's just hitting it every time. And it looks so easy, and that, that I don't think you appreciate it. But but when he put us up close to it, and then Shaka Smart said, "All right, now he he just he kept picking random media members to come out and try that shot, a one legged fadeaway over a defender." And it, I mean, they were just embarrassing tries, like not even getting close to the rim. And it, it actually, I mean, like I covered the guy on a day to day basis the last three years. And that was even more eye opening than, than covering him was like when you're really up close and, the, and then see other humans that are like of average size attempt to even do what he does. Uh, it, it, he's so unbelievably skilled for his size. And you touched on something there, which is important, is that he's a legit seven footer. Like this isn't yeah. this isn't an issue of ambiguity or people exaggerating it. He's a seven footer who doesn't want to be listed that way. So the league or whoever, however you want to sue it, whether that's the PR departments, just acquiesce and listen lower. Yeah, he's admitted it to me to others. I mean, he, he'll say six eleven. I remember he blocked Chris Paul um, in the in LA last year and to win the game and. Um, somebody asked him about the play, and he said, well, he's six foot, I'm 6'11". Um, so, I mean, he calls him 6'11". Six, six I'd almost, you know, he's pushing. I, if you had, I think if you had to, like, you know, you took a tape measure and really went down to it, maybe 6'11", three-fourths. Maybe he hasn't hit seven. But uh, the 6'9", thing, it's become kind of funny, but it is ridiculous. I was thinking, hey, maybe he changed teams. You know, the media guy will list him a bit lower, but now the Warriors put it out the other day. It said 6'9 again. He has said that he likes it because when he's growing up, that sounds like a wing size, and he thinks it's cool. Like, oh, the 6'9 wing from D.C., like when they announce it. Um, so, I mean, I... I don't really understand it. I think it's kind of funny, but yes, he is a near seven feet tall. Yeah, there was that piece uh, last year about different players and listing heights, and he was one of the most interesting ones, especially like with you and I having having covered him. Is that you notice it right away? Is that like he's not six nine? Like, and one of the hilarious parts about this will be so last year when the Warriors ran what was commonly called the death lineup, you know, relied on Iguodala, who we'll talk about a little later, and Draymond Green, lots of guys. There was an open question about which Warrior was the tallest in that lineup because Draymond might be a little bit shorter than his listed height. And this year, when they do that, there will be no question who the tallest guy is. And Durant, I think he's going to kind of tower over the other guys and it will make that difference more noticeable. Yeah, I mean, that that's part of the reason you know he's not 6'9", is because when he's standing next to Ennis Kanter last year, he's ta- a little bit taller than Ennis Kanter. He's about Stephen Adams height. And Stephen Adams is a, a listed 7-footer. He is going to be... Maybe the tallest warrior. I think him and Zaza will probably be pretty close. And uh, Damian Jones is listed at seven, and he's probably a legit seven. But I'd say of the rotation, not even talking death lineup, like, you know, he'll be pushing Zaza for just the tallest guy on the team because he's definitely taller than David West. Um, and I'd say he's taller than Verizhao, too. Uh, is, what's Verizhao? I think he's about 6'10, 6'11. Okay. So, I mean, Kevin will be like, there's definitely going to be nobody on the team you're like, that guy's definitely taller than Kevin Durant. Yeah. Which is completely ridiculous and also gets into something with Durant that really stuck with me, which was being in Oklahoma City for games three and four of the of that series. Durant turned it on defensively in a way that I had never seen before. He was phenomenal in the Spurs series as well. I don't want to knock that at all. But he was really the linchpin in my eyes of what made Oklahoma City truly special defensively in that and he won't have to bring it that often with the Warriors but knowing that he has that gear defensively is really a game changer yeah you know I mean he was at his best I've ever seen him but I always kind of knew he had that gear as, as I think most people did the problem was with you know a lot of the Thunder team last year and very much so including Russell Westbrook was why aren't they ever getting to that gear um, so that, that's just kind of the question I have with Kevin. Not that he, you know, I mean, me, me and you both know he doesn't have to just crank it up on game one and, and kind of keep that going through game 82 this year. He can take a lot of nights off defensively. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is very good to see it, but I just eat, even though I know how the NBA schedule navigates, I'd like to see it from Kevin on a more consistent basis. Cause there's, you know, there's times where, you know, he'll be lulling and somebody just backdoor cuts him and, you know, before he even notices that the guy's, you know, putting in a layup. So I just, I'd like to see him, um, at least give 80% defensive effort more than maybe he did last year. And this isn't just a, I mean, this is a problem for so many players across the league, but, 
Uh, that's kind of my question with him because, look, he's got the tools. He's got the lateral movement. He's got the height. He's got the jumping ability. I mean, everyone remembers that double jump block he had on Sean Livingston. It was kind of maybe the defensive highlight of that series. Um, but it, to me, it's just like how how much do you use it? Maybe now that he's on the Warriors, more conserved energy because he's not like maybe so relied upon offensively that we see it on a more consistent basis. We could. It probably won't be as egregious as in the Olympics when he was getting back cut constantly because those guys love doing it and he just didn't really care that much until I think the semifinal round. But Durant will also benefit, and this ties in with the other small forward we're going to talk about, which is Andre Iguodala. And so at moments, Iguodala will take the hardest defensive assignment, which is something that happens with Durant at various moments in his career. Robertson did a nice job of that last year for times. But Dabo too. And so having Durant take a lighter offensive load and be able to shift kind of in directions defensively depending on what they need could be really useful for him because they won't the Warriors won't need him to stretch himself as thin until let's say game seventy, game seventy five, and that's only if they're you know, if they're getting that'll be more ramping up for the playoffs, not like they're gonna need him for the regular season stretch run, probably. Where he's defensively, I think, going to be very interesting this season is with two guys, probably the two most important guys for him to cover. I, I think against Kawhi Leonard in the West Final, let's say it's Spurs Warriors in the West Finals. Uh, but, you know, he outplayed Kawhi. But you know, you mentioned uh, the Spurs series a little bit earlier. But um, in probably the the keyest moment of the Thunder season up to that point, that get, they were down two one in Game Four, uh, Kawhi was having a really good series up until then. Or, I mean, the Thunder, are down, yeah, they're down 2-1. They're down, I think, 8 going into the 4th. And Durant really ratcheted it up. And uh, he held Kawhi scoreless in the 4th and then went 5-5 five five for 17 points. He kind of maybe retook his claim over those two as who is the better player in that series. I, I think how he defends Kawhi in this p- a potential Spurs series is going to be very important. Obviously, team defensive schemes matter in all this, too. But also just, I mean, guarding LeBron, you know, he's I think he's – I think he should be and will be LeBron's primary defender. Obviously, Iguodala is going to be tag-teamed into that, um, maybe a lot of times, especially if they go death on it. But, but Durant's going to get his fair share of LeBron James, which he hasn't really gotten, uh, especially in a series since, what, 2012 when they played in the finals. So uh, that's maybe where he has to earn his defensive money. And I could see him get really getting up for that, like he did against Kawhi, because while Oklahoma City played in big games last year, you know, it is kind of a hallmark of Durant's career that he hasn't played in as many huge games as you would expect by somebody of his stature on a team that has been consistently relevant. You know, like the Thunder have had this strange path because of all the injuries to, you know, to Russ, to to KD himself, to Serge Ibaka in the playoffs, that they haven't really had that. And I think part of why Durant did this is because now he's on a team that, you know, that is going to be in that mix every single year. And that allows him to not only to build a legacy and be associated with that, but also to get those kind of reps in those big situations. Well, I mean, to be fair, the, the Thunder did go to four West Finals in the sure. last six years. He's been in major, major games environments. The, the thing is, it hasn't been against LeBron. When he had that 2012 Finals where, I mean, you remember the Thunder win game one. They're the favorites in the series. They got home court and then game two, uh, they come down. Uh, it's very close late in the game, and um, LeBron maybe gives a little forearm shiver as Durant's shooting, and the whole controversy was, you know, was it a foul, was it not a foul? The Thunder could have gone up 2-0, it turns into 1-1, and then LeBron just dominates the rest of the series, and has really been dominating since. That was LeBron's first title. Um, and But everyone off that series was like, it's okay, a small forward rivalry's brewing, Durant, LeBron, they're going to meet in the finals a ton of times. You know, who's, you know, can Durant overtake his crown? But that just never happened because of injuries, because of disappointments from the Thunder, because of a lot of reasons. Um, but I, like you said, I, I, I do think that is maybe part of coming to the Warriors is knowing that he is going to get, or should at least, get a crack at LeBron in the finals. And, you know, as much as people, even if the, you know, the thought is even if the Warriors win, people are going to kind of downplay it from Durant's side of things. If, you know, he had to go you know, join this team to, to even get a ring. But Durant could just change that opinion with how he plays on the court. If he just is the best player in a, in a series that includes a LeBron, a Steph Curry, then you know nobody can really ignore it if they're actually watching the games. So I think maybe that's part of his thought process and his confidence level that people can talk now that I'm, co- I'm riding coattails, but if they watch these games and I'm just really good and, and, and outplaying LeBron, then they're going to have to change their opinion. And 
not coincidentally, that's how it was with LeBron. You know, LeBron had that got that rep in Cleveland when they only made one finals, and everybody kind of had had their opinions on him. Oh, he's a choker. That series with the Celtics and everything like that. He goes to Miami. You get the heat related to not one, not you know, not two, not three, not four, all that. But then they're really fun to watch, and they start winning titles. And all of that other stuff, you know, oh, we had to go join up with Dwayne Wade to do it. All that stuff largely fades away. I mean, it also helped that he won a title this year with Cleveland. You know, that that helped too. But those perceptions only last as long as you don't have a, as long as you have an absence of a strong impression to make on top of it. And that is also part of my theory with this team that they will only be hated until people really start to watch them play because they're going to be so fun to watch that it's it's hard to hate that except for when they're facing your team. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I, I don't even think they're going to be hated that much when they. Fa- you know, everyone's talking about how there's going to be these wild, like villainous atmospheres every time they go on the road. There's just going to be venom from everywhere. No, I mean to me, when they go to Cleveland, it's going to be a great atmosphere, but not like an angry atmosphere. It's just going to be confident Cavs fans that are really into the game. When same with, when they go to San Antonio, to me, the only atmosphere that is going to be like really like while the villains are coming in is Oklahoma City, but that's understandable. I mean, like. You know, it, it, the Warriors ripped a 3-1 lead away from the Thunder, which to Thunder fans was like ripping a title away. And then they ripped, you know, the, the beloved, you know, athlete of the, you know, the beloved figure of that state for the last decade. I mean, probably the most famous guy in the entire state. They just kind of went, went back to back ripping those away. So, like, it's an under It's like kind of this WWE type um, storyline that leads up to that game in Oklahoma City. But other than that, it's just going to be fans in Philadelphia or Orlando or wherever across the league that half of them are going to be wearing Curry or Durant jerseys anyways. And when, you know, Curry hits two straight crazy threes or, or Durant starts putting on display or Clay Thompson gets hot, it's just going to be it's just going to be people in the crowd that are not necessarily rooting for the Warriors, but they can't ignore like, oh, my, you know, you know how you've been in those arenas where it's just like, oh, when like it's something the, happens. It's the spectacle. Like, there will yeah. be people that are there for that. The Warriors are going to be the ticket for almost every team. Like, they're going to be the ticket, whether the game is a 20-point win for the Warriors or whether it's close to the buzzer. You know, like, that's the way yeah. that this team is, and I've been lucky enough to cover it for years now. And you can get that vibe in other arenas where they feel, oh, it's coming. And so you have some people who react to that by saying, yay, this is exciting, we get to see it. And then you have other people where it takes the air out of the building. Yeah, and... and- to me, like, like there's going to be, like, when they come out for introductions, there's going to be booze and there'll be signs and they'll be like, you know, Durant, you, you know, whatever, you know, talking about how he's riding coattails. But the truth is that, like, those fans aren't going to, like, feel the booze. It's not going to be, like, to me, when you go to Oklahoma City, you're going to feel their, like, anger. But other, you know, when you go to these other arenas, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, boo, boo. Oh, my, oh, what a three by step. That was awesome. That was awesome right there. Um, so that's where I think maybe this villain uh, storyline has been over-exaggerated. So one of the other kind of dynamics covering the Warriors the last couple of years has been Draymond has talked about how playing center, you know, sliding up a position is more physically demanding on him. And that's part of the reason why the Warriors didn't do it very much in the regular season. And in my opinion, didn't do it nearly enough in the playoffs and might have cost him a title, might have gotten them Kevin Durant. But so the question for me is Durant has also been pretty reluctant, though it has happened, to really slide up and defend power forwards. Do you think that the Warriors will ask him to do that very much? And do you think he's kind of ready for that when the call comes? You know, he'll tell you, um, you know, I, I could play all five. He, he, he's kind of prideful about that. But the truth, I mean, he doesn't want to. I, most power forwards don't. I remember Paul George didn't want to. Um, but, I mean, he's always had bruisers for centers. I mean, we're talking Kendrick Perkins, Steven Adams. Um, so I don't think he wants to on a on an every game basis have to be you know facing Blake Griffin post ups you know seven times a game or Marc Gasol, but he can do it in spurts. He has done it. You mentioned I remember him getting a big stop on a Marc Gasol uh, post up, and you know I mean his versatility that's a that that is a huge thing defensively. I remember there was like a three four game stretch. It was probably two years ago where um, he guarded. Kyrie, Blake Griffin, Marcus and somebody else. I think maybe LeBron was in that too, where it was like he guarded a star uh, point guard for a stretch of a game, then obviously the star small forward, and then a, a big-time post-up power forward, and then a center in Marcus Gasol. So um, the, the Warriors should, and I think will, slide him down to guard post-up power forwards and different stuff. But I think that's where having Draymond helps because you can play Kevin as kind of maybe your 
you know, size-wise as your center in that death lineup. But, you know, Draymond can be, like, let's say they're playing the Grizzlies. Um, Draymond can be guarding Marcus Ole and then Kevin. You know, I don't. Th- I think the Grizzlies would probably take Randolph off the floor, you know, because uh, he, a lot he of times, can't defend pick and rolls in space. Ex- exactly. So, so a lot of times with these death lineups, most of these teams are going to be way too afraid to play two, you know, burly big man, post up big man, because remember, they got to guard Draymond and Durant on the other end. So there's probably only going to be at most one big dude to like maybe keep off the glass. And um, so I, to me, I think Draymond will guard those guys on most times because that's where he's kind of made his you know mark in the league and he's kind of probably more prideful than Durant about it uh whereas both of them can maybe kind of try to chip in rim protection wise I don't think Kevin Kevin will probably be guarding more stretch fours yeah and that's something that will be you you brought it up that will be very important for this Warriors team is that there aren't going to be there isn't going to be that much like burly size that they're going to face because they won't survive you know those teams won't be able to stay on the floor and Draymond is will relish that and offensively it's going to be huge but Durant also has a huge difference with Harrison Barnes that you alluded to there which is that he can also slide down and defend smaller guys and that was something Barnes couldn't really do just because his fitness is a little bit different you know he's a different kind of athlete which isn't surprising Durant is special in a lot of ways and so what the Warriors have done you know just with nature it wasn't why they made why they signed Kevin Durant there are a million reasons why they did that but Clay Thompson Draymond Green and Her- and uh, Kevin Durant can all defend a lot of different guys they can defend smaller guys they can defend bigger guys and so what that means is that you can kind of align them in a bunch of different ways if they happen to both be involved in a pick and roll you can switch it you can attack you can crash and fall back and that creativity could help Durant too because that gives him more time on small guys. You know, like let's say they're playing the Clippers and it's Clay and Durant guarding a Chris Paul DeAndre or a Chris Paul Blake Griffin pick and roll. You can handle that a lot of different ways, especially when you have help defense. And that will be good for Durant and it will also create a ton of weak side shot blocking opportunities for him, which I know he loves. Yeah, um, I think it's weird. I think I think his shot blocking was was underrated for a lot of years. Um, but now I think now that the switch to the Warriors, just hearing people talk about it, I think it's been a little bit overrated. He's not an incredible shot blocker. He had some co- highlight ones in the playoffs that people remember, but um, you know he he's not a like a prototype typical rim protector. I mean, yeah. I know he kind of helped side come over, but I think I think maybe Warriors fans or followers are expecting a little bit too much of him. Um, from a from a rim protection standpoint, he's always had surge behind him coming flying around, and and even Adams is kind of like a stonewall defender. So he's never, to me, really been at that big a rim protector. But I mean, you mentioned that that's what makes this lineup so scary defensively, uh, be, beyond its offensive like ridiculousness. It's just, uh, you know, it can switch everything, and and that was all. That was the story of it. As you know, I know you're aware of the last few years with that dead lineup was oh they can switch everything. Now they have a you know, they're adding not only, you know, maybe the best scorer in the world, pure scorer, but they're replacing Harrison Barnes, who was probably, was he the worst defender? No, I mean, Steph was, I guess, the worst defender in that lineup and yeah, remains that defender, way. But, but, but Barnes was under, Barnes was underappreciated, but he was, but he was not as like dominant as Iguodala or Green or, or Clay. Clay was, uh, was an underappreciated part of that team too. Yeah. To me, Kevin is a lot better defender than Barnes as far as if, if it's, if it's in the playoffs and they, they they're you know maybe down four in the last five minutes and and all five guys are just trying their hardest and Kevin's really locked in defensively, then his level I think is way higher than Barnes could ever get to. But one thing I will say about Barnes is I feel like if you're just watching it on a regular season level, you know Durant's down in Barnes's defensive level most of the time, so maybe you won't always see uh, the big difference. But I think in the key moments this season you'll that lineup can just be an absolute terror defensively. Yeah, it's about ceiling more than median, I think. You know, like Durant's going to yeah. settle going to settle around there and it's a really kind of unusual circumstance to deal with these guys that are so offensively and defensively capable, but something that I thought was important to hit, I was working on a piece for the Athletic over the last week about how the Thunder did when Durant was their only real primary guy on the floor when when Westbrook was out. They were good defensively during those stretches, and that opens up some creative possibilities for the Warriors as well. Yeah, I mean, um, they can, you know, I mean, he, he's a solid defender. A, a lot of that was, at times, who they put around him. I mean, they 
usually have Robertson out there. Adams can be a pretty good defender. Um, it usually wasn't Canner lineups. They, That's they, true. Yeah, they usually like kind of line up Canner with Westbrook just because they worked so good together on the pick and roll. So that's helpful. Um, but look, I mean, all the capabilities in the world to be a good defender can be. You you know usually is at least average. But um, I, I'm very interested to see now with Ron Adams around him and 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 just this ability to not have to score maybe thirty a night. Uh, just what he turns into. That's maybe one of the more underrated storylines that at least I'm kind of looking to watch early in the season. Yeah, and I think if they give him the reins, the the theory that I posed in the piece was that if the Warriors give him, let's say, four minutes or so at the beginning of the second and fourth quarters to really run the offense, that he could relish that and it would be a little bit of a a, tra- a hearkening back to some of the time in Oklahoma City where he gets to do what he wants, and then maybe you phase that away over time, over the course of a season, because we lose sight sometimes of how long the NBA regular season is. And so you can kind of work it in phases, but to give him some chance to really be the alpha and the omega offensively. Yeah. I'm there. Do you think, I mean, cause I think Kerr can go a couple ways here. I mean, he can have Durant maybe as that guy that's really leading the second unit or, or clay, you know, cause clay's not going to get his shots. He's used to maybe uh, it'd be good to have him as the guy. I mean, do you think clay could handle that responsibility as like the main guy of a second unit? I mean, obviously I'm not saying he's coming off the bench, but he's just playing with bench players a, a bit more. And when Curry and Durant are on the, on the floor, maybe he toggles those a little bit where Durant gets half the time with the bench squad and, and clay does. I just think, I think you just need to find shots for these guys and, and isolation opportunities uh, in those pockets of the game. And, you know, that, that is a great time to get Durant maybe his, like, three to four, like, mid-post isolation plays per game that he loves. That I mean, he could talk all he wants about sacrifice. That guy wants his little, you know, he wants his little mid-post isolations every once in a while. That's a, a certainly a valid point. What might end up working better and, and what could happen is if they kind of use an early hook on Durant, so, you know, have the starters come out, of course he's going to start do that and then what what clay gets in those circumstances then it's clay with steph curry and draymond he'll get plenty of shots that way just like what the league was and then you let durant really run the offense however clay deserves a lot of credit because he did better as a much bigger offensive player particularly in the portland series with without it better than i ever expected i think he scored 31 a game in that series yeah what's interesting to me about what you mentioned there with durant is you know, that was the big thing in Oklahoma City this past, really, you know, dating back to the Scott Brooks era, but remember everyone was always like, why are they not staggering? Why are they not staggering Westbrook and Durant? Some of it was, you know, Westbrook had his little thing where he went. He played the first nine, then he sat the last three, first three, and that was kind of his routine. And Kevin had his routine, which was play the entire first quarter and then sit the first six minutes. So that so they did have these three minutes to start the second quarter and to start the fourth quarter, where neither were on the floor. Well, they needed to change that, and Donovan's idea to change that was to take Kevin out at the six-minute mark of the first sit him the first, then start him the second. I mean, sometimes this stuff would overlap a little bit, but that was basically what it turned into. And Kevin had trouble with that. You know, there'd be a lot of times, you know, he'd be barking at Donovan, come off the floor like, I can't get a rhythm like this, you know, when he's only playing the first six minutes of the first. And, you know, and then he was, he was very, you know, I guess gracious about it to the media saying, you know, it's, you know, it's good for the team. This is what I have to do. Um, and the truth was, I mean, it, it, it's way, it was way better for the team because they were staggering him. Like everyone knew it was the right thing, but it's just Kevin didn't like having to come out so early in the game. It's just it's not what he was used to his whole career. He likes playing the whole first quarter. He likes playing the whole third. That's just kind of uh, his thing. So you know, may, I mean, I don't know if it was talked about at all at the free agency meeting or what, but um, I, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see maybe how that you know, substitution pattern is, is configured by Kerr. And it's great to bring up the idea of rest because we usually think about rotations in terms of who is playing with who, but when a guy sits is very important as well. And they will have to strike that with all of the guys. You know, it's really, this is a team that has four, you know, star caliber players. I would say they're in kind of two tiers. You have Stefan Durant, and then as a lower tier of still stars, you have Clay and Draymond. And so how that works, what combinations are better and also how the supporting players fit into that you know so like when what when Durant let's say they fiddle with my idea of having Durant being the only star out there at the beginning of the second quarter let's say he gets over the rest resting with that you know if they play him with Ian Clark and Sean Livingston you know or try some try some different groups out maybe some of those they'll develop a chemistry as well 
And the difference with this Warriors team and a lot of other squads is that they can treat the regular season as a full laboratory because they, they're not defining success at all by what happens in the regular season. So they can just kind of fiddle around and see what works. Yeah, no, I mean, and even, you know, defining success of the regular season or not, this team is going to struggle and win games by double digits, you know. I mean, they're just going to fall into some wins where I, I can already see it like now, like, at least, what, 20 times this year, they're going to win a game and you're going to go into the locker room and they're going to feel like they played terribly. I think just it might because, be more than 20. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, I, w- I was probably going light on that. Um, so that allows Kerr this just laboratory, basically, this season. And, and that's what it's about. That's why when, when people complain about the regular season and how it doesn't matter, um, because, you know, what if the Warriors get the first seed, second seed, or third seed? That really doesn't matter. Um, because, you know, they could easily win the title from the third seed or lose it from the one seed, which is all true. But, like, that's what that's why the regular season is important is because you're trying to just formulate your team. Does it have to be 82 games long? Probably not. But, I mean, th- there needs to be a growth process with this team, um, and that'll be fun to watch. And having a season that long also gives the players a chance to really take some time off. It's a counterintuitive idea, but the, Draymond talked about this last year, that working into shape and you know getting there, that you don't want to start everything in peak form because then it's just too much. It's too much, and that gives you time to really rest. And the Warriors and Durant will, is dealing with this too, of course, with the Olympics, is that the idea of balancing your summer and you know making sure, making sure that you have enough time to do it. But I want to make sure that we talk at least a little bit about Andre Iguodala. You've spent the last few years covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. How, what is your perception of his significance to this team? He was incredible in that game six, um, you know, which is the, um, from, the t- from the aspect of the team I covered, from their perspective, will haunt that city and that franchise forever, that game six loss um, in Oklahoma City. And while everyone talks about, oh, Clay Thompson, what do you have, 11 threes that game? Something like that, uh, yeah. yeah. like a record. And, and, like, you know, obviously Clay Thompson's offense won that game for the Warriors, but Andre Iguodala's defense was, you know, arguably just as important. I mean, remember the strips he was having late in the game? I, I think the Thunder had six turnovers on the last eight possessions, um, and it was three, I think it was three by Durant, three by Westbrook, and I think four of them were, like, directly caused by Iguodala, just, like, quick hands or tipping a pass. Um, and, I mean, everyone knows this, but, I mean, just to have that type of defensive just menace, and, and it's not... To me, like, you know, Patrick Beverly would probably be, I guess, to me it's the difference between a defensive pest like Beverly and like a menace like Iguodala where like this guy can do what Beverly can do, but he's got, but he's 6'9", and he can do it to everyone on the court basically. Um, and he is not as infatuated or at least needed offensively like a Durant, where Durant may have at his top level have Iguodala type capabilities or, or near it defensively. Iguodala just uses it smarter and uses it more often. And when you see him uh, really affect a game like game, that was the one where it really stood out to me. Because like you mentioned, I don't watch him on a night-to-night basis, or at least I haven't the last uh, few years like you have. In that game, I was like, wow. Like, he has just, like, taken over. I mean, to, it was a little bit like, you know, it was kind of like Kawhi. Like, he's not obviously not near the offensive player Kawhi is, but I, I saw Kawhi do it at times against the Thunder. I remember the opener. Remember last season's opener when he blocked Durant? Uh, Leonard did. Mm-hmm. That that. That kind of, uh, just, uh, that is where Iguodala kind of separates himself in the league. Because, I mean, yeah, he can open threes like some wings, and, you know, he can, and, and that is what makes him really valuable, too, is that obviously he can play make, he can shoot it a little bit, but just what he can do defensively is uh, what kind of brings him to another tier. Iguodala has some of the best hands defensively I have ever seen, and being yeah. able to follow it in person, like, it, so good hands means a couple of different things. One, it's, you know, that when you have them somewhere that it does what you want to do, you know, that you can strip the ball and then you can grab it and all that sort of thing. And and offensively, they're good hands, which is something separate. More, it's more about catching and things like that. But he has that, but then it's the knowledge to be in the right place at the right time every single time. And to be able to do all of that when you're not at your physical peak, you know, Iguodala, I, I went to college at the same time he did. Like, he's somebody whose career I followed just by virtue of my own life. And remembering what he was physically then and seeing the force that he's become defensively after that fact is really incredible. And and 
he's an underrated passer offensively. You know, his shot can come and go, and there are times that the Warriors would give him the ball in the corner and it just wouldn't be there. And he was like kind of one of the few guys where that was true, you know, like where it wasn't going in that eventually became Harrison Barnes in the finals, but it was Iguodala for other stretches. But him being a really good passer and being so unselfish offensively was good. And one of the big questions with this team, and this is kind of something I've been building towards in a lot of my writing, is that Iguodala under the new alignment of players makes a lot of sense with playing more with the starters. They don't need him as much on the second unit anymore. Livingston has really firmed himself up as being an offensive creator. If they slide Durant into that role, you don't need Iguodala to stabilize the second unit. And if he plays more with the starters, his game will blossom more because they don't need him to do any of that stuff offensively. And it frees him up to just kind of be this crazy freelancer, which works so well with what he likes to do out there. I mean... Are you advocating they start him or just that they play him a ton with the starters? Play him a ton with the starters. I mean, if they want to start him, they can do that. But basically, if you're starting Iguodala, then that means Draymond's playing center to start, and that's just too much for him. But so Plus, what, plus I think Kevin probably doesn't want to be like right. thinking that he's a power forward. Exactly. You know? So so like what I would do is probably, if, if, it, if, if of course, there are a lot of things involved with Ego, my first sub would be Durant coming out, Iguodala coming in. Like something like that, or, or or Zaza, you know, whichever way you wanted to do it. And just give Iguodala a lot of reps there and actually make him play, let's say, 75% of his minutes with the starters. And so he won't start nominally, and he's only going to play, you know, 20 to 25 minutes. And you don't want to push him harder than that. And so, so you make it work that way. And the other reason you do that is to line it up for the playoffs, because the at that point, this year, the Warriors need to be ready to go to whatever we're going to call the death lineup, the new one. They're going to need to be ready to do that for 20 to 30 minutes a game at minimum. And that requires Iguodala having chemistry with Durant, requires all of these things fitting together. And Iguodala is a central figure in that because we talked about the idea of defensive versatility and we're talking about, you know, Clay and Draymond and Durant. Iguodala is that too. And so if you can have four of those five out there on the floor, and oh yeah, the other guy, Steph Curry, the best offensive player on the planet. So that is how all of this needs to to work. But you don't need to start there. You just need to get there eventually. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I guess that's concerning about Iguodala is, what is he, 32, about to be 33-ish, something like that. I think he's turned 33 during the season. Um, the health has obviously been fluctuated. I, I think they'll get him at least, what, 20 games at rest probably this season. Um, I just I worry about his three-point numbers if he has lingering back, you know, you know tweaks. Though, because that's very important. I've seen so many wings over time that when, like, the three-point shot goes or it's just not there, they just become – uh, you know, a problem for the offense. Obviously, I covered some of the most egregious of those, which is the you know the Andre Robertsons of the world. But um, I just I, I think it's that's one thing that can just kind of screw with this offense a little bit, which is going to be unbelievable no matter what. But uh, just because you you don't want to have Iguodala out there for his twenty five plus minutes per game and in the key moments, um, he he needs to be healthy and he just he I just think he needs to be hitting threes at a, at a semi reasonable clip for this team to, to really be maximized. You're right, because if they can help off him, then that creates more obstacles for everybody else. Granted, the, the, the they have a lot of guys that can get over them. What, what will be crazy about the shift from Barnes to Durant is that now, with those lineups, Iguodala shifts into being the fifth option, and that can yeah. help him a lot. And one of the dynamics that is really important to remember when we're talking about, you know, kind of fourth and fifth option type guys is as long as Iguodala has the respect that guys want to close out on him and feel the need to, that is enough. You know, you get into these weird spots with guys. Uh, Drew Gooden's a really good example of this. I don't exactly understand why, but people still close out hard on Drew Gooden. I mean, we don't know if he's going to be in the NBA this year, but you have those guys who have the respect and Iguodala, his handle and his passing is better than his shooting. So if, as long as he can do that, but with this Warriors team that is going to have so many eyeballs on them, including from the players in the league, that perception is going to shift faster. It will correct faster if he doesn't have it. And when he, you know, if he reaches that point, it's not going to be a lagging indicator where, you know, these guys give him for a couple of years. It's like, oh, we have to get on Iguodala because the players around the league are going to be watching the Warriors with with some serious regularity. Yeah, and I mean, I think smart defensive coaches the game plan this season. Not that they can just execute it and make it happen, but 
I mean, it's going to be try as hard as they can to try to funnel the ball into Iguodala and Draymond Green threes against that death lineup that we're talking about. It's going to be try to get Iguodala and Draymond Green threes. Not that they're just going to be super successful and the Warriors will get lulled into that every possession because, you know, two of the two of the best scorers in NBA history are on the floor, plus, you know, a guy that can get just scorching hot and it doesn't matter if you're even trying to guard Klay Thompson at times. But I just, though, I, I, I mean, I don't know exactly how, uh, you know, teams are going to try to, you know, do it. But, I mean, that's clearly who you want taking the shots and from where you want them taking it. So I, I think there'll be maybe softer closeouts. Maybe that's, like, really part of the game plan on, on the board pregame. It's, like, soft closeouts on Iguodala, soft closeouts on Green. Somebody, you know, tell Green he can't shoot threes, so he, you know, he, he really gets it in his mind. He's got to make four that night. I just, to me, there's not there's not a ton of smart defensive schemes against this team because of how good they are, but that's probably the most reasonable. Yeah, it's going to be really hard, and while teams will be thinking about the Warriors a lot, they won't be able to prep for it because it's just such a different thing, and when you see Durant and Curry out there, I mean, I, I, I've been, since July 4th, but even since long before that, I mean, I've been toying around with the idea of Durant on the Warriors for a long time, as you know. Uh, the idea of a Durant-Curry pick-and-roll is just something that is hard to process. You know, like, how, how do you handle that and how you do anything with it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, if we're just envisioning that play right now and it's something like, you know, Durant setting the screen, Curry, and, like, I don't know, they hit a cutter down the lane. I could just see de- defenses, especially, what, if Eagle Dawes in the corner and Draymond's in the corner, like, just telling those guys to completely collapse, try to wall off the lane. Not that it, that'll even stop the play, but I think defenses will be fine with literally a kick right out to the corner for the easiest three in basketball at you know that corner three, and if it's just if if a if a Curry Durant pick and roll with Clay Thompson flanking is going to end with an Iguodala or Draymond Green corner three, I think teams are going to be like okay, you that's, know that's probably the best result. Yeah, realistically, I mean, I mean even if it's wide open, I mean yeah. just like please miss because you know what you know what else are you going to want to give up there? I mean except for a turnover. I mean I think I think I think if you're playing the Warriors, your hope is to just kind of be flying around so frantically that you know sometimes those. Curry can get lazy with his passes. Durant can get sloppy with his ball handling and passes. Um, and you just kind of hope that you just created enough uh, havoc that, that a lot of passes are tipped and turned over. Yeah, and it's going to take a lot of physical energy for that other team. And then you'll consider how that spills over onto the offensive end. You know, you can't exert yourself 100% at both ends for that long. And it's going to be this challenge. And, and the Warriors aren't the deepest team in the world, but... Sometimes, especially offensively, they're not not deep though. I think yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, it's they, they have a, a a group of probably like eight guys that they're really going to trust, and outside of that, it's going to be shaky. But that's a good group. You know, eight is more than almost any team has right now. Yeah, for sure. And you know, six and seven. If we're talking Iguodala, Livingston, like that's a really good one-two yeah. off the bench. Um, I think obviously you worry about their big man depth, but that's become less and less important, especially when you have two of the best three-man, four-man in the game to guard big men. Yes. So before before I let you out of this, uh, one question in terms of the Thunder, where do you see, like this, I, I think, I, I'm having trouble figuring out exactly where, I know what they're going to be this year, but how good they're going to be is a question that I'm still not certain of. I am of the mind that they're going to be a 48-50 type win team because I think they have a team that, it, their identity will become we're just tough as hell and we're going to play super hard. You got Adams, you know, your backcourt's going to be Oladipo Westbrook that's just going to like, you know, I, I don't care that they can't shoot. What team's going to want to go in and, in and play against those two? In a, and I'm talking regular season. I'm not talking playoffs where you can really scheme up and everyone's up for every game. I'm talking like you just, you're on the second night of a back to back and you're going into Oklahoma City and you got to, you just got to deal with Westbrook and Oladipo coming at you. And then, you know, Steven Adams, like this seven foot robot that's just bodying up everyone that comes near him. They're just going to be, un- they're kind of remind me of the Grizzlies in a sense from the last few years. Like you just, don't want to play them and I think because of the storyline around them which is you know they've kind of been uh you know maybe spurned by their star and, and everyone's kind of written them off in a sense and obviously they're not a title contender and, and nobody should be saying otherwise but I just think they're gonna use that 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 fuel to you know maybe have more energy than most teams on a night-to-night basis and in, in an NBA regular season that's huge so I just think that that leads to 
to me to about 48-50 wins, maybe like a 4-5 seed. Um, and to me, that's their dream season. They, they, they win 50-ish, they get to a 4-5 matchup, they get to the second round, and then they get the Warriors in the second round and, and at least push them, maybe win one or two, get win a play. I think they just want to win one home playoff game against Kevin Durant before he rumbles off and, and you know probably wins the title. Yeah, that, that, that would certainly be a successful season for them. And the idea of them being a really good regular season team is a very astute one. And the parallel could be to the Toronto Raptors as well, where the Raptors weren't, you know, they aren't as talented as some of the other top teams in the league, but they play really hard. They have a lot of talent. You know, Lowry Westbrook is more than a fair comparison. Lots of good big men. And so that is enough to win day in, day out. And when you have an incandescent talent like Russ, you will win games that you shouldn't. You know, like that, there will be games this season that they'll just win because Russell Westbrook is going to dominate. There aren't many point guards in the league that can handle him. And the Thunder have a lot of talent. It's not necessarily mesh perfect fit together, but it's a lot of good players. And that is a meaningful difference over a lot of teams in the league. Like, if they're going to be facing, let's say, like, Orlando, which has former Thunder players on the team, that, like, I I just think that they're just going to do really well in those types of games. And, you know, when they face those middle of the East, lower of the East, lower of the West teams, they're they're going to win a vast majority of those games. However, I will note that I feel like at some point during the season, they're going to lose some really surprising games just because when it goes cold, it's going to go really cold. Oh, it's going to be gross. They're going to have some games that are just going to be gross offense. Like, I think they're going to lose at least one game to a bottom four, bottom five team in the league, and it might be more than a few. Like, just a couple, just to have that, you know. I'm not sure it'll necessarily be against the Sixers or the Lakers, but somebody. And There's but- just... Yeah, there's going to be five times a year where it's just like the offense is just going so poorly and there's no space. And Russ is just so frustrated with it that he's just like, you know, I'm just driving directly into the heart of the defense every time. And there's going to be five dudes down there just pounding him. And he's just going to be clanging off layups and like it's going to look really bad. So, yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes that that might be a bottom five team in the league. Anything you want to talk about, Warriors or otherwise? No, I'm, I'm, I should be good. I appreciate you having me on. You know, this is going to be an interesting season, and it starts, man, next week, right? Yeah, Jeez. Less, oh, oh, less than a week from today. Yeah, going to Vancouver in end of this month or October 1st, they're starting up, which, you know, I will say one thing I'm, I, you know, this move – uh, I'm I'm pretty glad about my preseason slate last year was like you know Wichita Tulsa those are kind of like the uh, you know the offsite uh, neutral site games this year I got to go to Vancouver Vegas and San Diego a little bit uh, an upgrade for sure not bad well thanks so much for coming on yeah appreciate it thanks again to Anthony Slater for taking the time to come on you can read him as the new Warriors beat writer for the San Jose Mercury News Bay Area News Group. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Anthony V. Slater. That's A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-V-S-L-A-T-E-R. Definitely someone that you should follow, a very talented writer, and also a really good asker of questions. That seems like a basic thing, but is exceedingly important in this business. And I was really impressed with Anthony when we were at Team USA that ended up being on the first day of real availability. It ended up being a pretty amazing experience. It was Sam Amick, Ramona Shelburne, Anthony and I peppering Kevin Durant with questions for about 35 minutes, and he in particular, I thought, did a great job of getting exactly what his readers then of the Oklahoman really wanted out of that situation, because it was the first time he took serious kind of questions in that vein since he made that decision on July 4th, so... I've been I've been impressed with him for a lot longer than that, but that was something that really galvanized it because I was lucky enough to be there and asking a few of my own. So it's great to be able to have that kind of a conversation on this, and I thought his insights on Durant and how he's going to fit were salient, and it will be so much fun to see over the course of this season how that really works. For those of you who are unfamiliar the Locked On Podcast Network also extends to NFL podcasts. So if you're a, a Niners fan, a Raiders fan, or some other team, we have a lot of transplants in the Bay Area, you can check that out using Locked On. You should be able to find it with pretty basic search terms. And the Locked On Podcast Network is growing by leaps and bounds. I'm so thrilled to be a part of it. We are almost done with position week. Have two more power forwards and centers, which will be done at the end of the week, Thursday and Friday, as you would expect. And then next week will be a little bit more loose. Probably going to do something early in the week. The over-under just came out for the Warriors at 66.5 wins. I will have some extended thoughts on that, hopefully have a guest. That'll be a lot of fun to do. It's over-unders, while I don't gamble, 
are a fun way of thinking about where teams are and where they stand and everything like that. And so that'll be a lens and a whole bunch of other stuff. And any input you have, positive, negative in between, I really do appreciate it. You can reach out to me personally, Danny LaRue on Twitter, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or Danny LaRue MBA at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to the Locked On Podcast, Locked On Warriors Podcast directly at Locked On Dubs on Twitter, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-D-U-B-S, because Locked On Warriors is too long. But then we use Locked On Warriors for Facebook and Locked On Warriors at gmail.com. So really whatever you want to use. And as much as I am enjoying the more rigid format, and you know that was the nature of how I got into Locked On, I, I had a start date in mind, and we went into that. It will be fun to get a little bit more open, and that will involve your suggestions. I'm, I'm probably going to use Reddit, use Twitter, use everything to get questions, and I'm toying with the idea of doing that, some, some of it being solo, some of it with other people, so still working on all that. You know, Doing a daily podcast like this is, is very different, but that's why your feedback is so important, because I want to make this the absolute best that it can be, and that requires your input because that's the only only real way that I can know. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked on Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.